Hello everyone, this is the Connected Family Podcast, episode number 18. This podcast is produced by Connections Family Counseling, LLC, a group counseling practice located in Quincy, Illinois, that helps build resilient kids, strong marriages, and connected families. My name is Mark Vanderlei, and I'm your host. Today's episode is about domestic spiritual abuse. My guest is Sarah Elmore. Sarah is a licensed professional counselor in Missouri. She has personal experience with domestic spiritual abuse and will be sharing her story with us. She will also be sharing lessons learned while working with women in a counseling context who have had difficulties with domestic spiritual abuse. Here now is my interview with Sarah Elmore. I'm so excited to have with me today Sarah Sarah Elmore. Um, we're going to be talking about a, really a kind of difficult topic, I think. Um, in regards to the oppression of women through religious practices, religious entities, and particularly even how that sometimes happens in marriages. Sarah, thank you so much for being here tonight. Thanks for having me. You are welcome. Um, I have to say that you and I, we were co-workers together for a number of years, what seems to be like a lifetime ago. And that's how we, you know, like kind of discovered this article that you had shared on Facebook. And I was like, oh, my goodness, we need to talk about that. Um, and so we're re- we were just reconnecting. And it's been I'm excited for this conversation because of that. Yes, I was super excited when you reached out and responded to my article. And I can't wait to dive into this topic. I think it's um, something that's not addressed enough. And um, I'm looking forward to this conversation and. Um, just hopefully opening up more conversations that need to be had. Definitely. Let's hope so. Um, so to start, uh, I wonder if you would just kind of tell everyone who you are, a little bit about yourself as much as you would like, your professional life and personal life, whatever you'd like to tell us. Yeah. So um, like Mark said, my name's Sarah Elmore. I have a master's in counseling. Um, I've been um, working in the field since probably around 2004, Um, even before I did some work in the psychiatric field before I got my um, full licensure status. Um, So I've had my hands in a lot of different um, areas of the field. particularly the most recent and by far my passion and most favorite area of the field has been um, working with women in private practice on women's issues. Um, I myself, um, I'm married with three little girls and I want to um, raise them to be strong and um, independent and um, you know, just believe in their worth and value as women. That's that's an area of passion of mine. And uh, it's what I try to instill in the clients that I get to see as well. And, um, and it's personally touched my life and, um, many people close to me, Mm. um, this topic that we're discussing today. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. Awesome. I'm excited to have to be able to sort of mine your expertise because as we're just preparing, you know, you were talking about, as you said, the experience you have personally and professionally. And so I'm excited to learn, um, yeah. learn about it and grow in that way. And hopefully somebody who's listening will also either be encouraged or emboldened um, or maybe even 
learn some themselves. So, so kind of the topic that we're talking about is this idea of how sometimes, sometimes women are oppressed through Christian values, Christian institutions, maybe even the institution of marriage. Um, I was kind of thinking about it, maybe even of somehow, sometimes we, sometimes the Bible or biblical things, ideas, concepts are used in that way as well. Maybe you could help me to understand a little bit more even um, about what happens, what the problem is or what. This yeah. Is. So I think the best example I can give and, and maybe the best place to start is at the beginning, a little bit of my story um, and, and then more broadly, how I've seen it impact um, uh, women friends of mine, family members, as well as um, multiple women who've come to me seeking my help in private practice. Um, so I was raised in a very, I would say, extremely fundamentalist um, type church um, religion. And um, just to kind of give you an example of what I would describe as extreme is, um, the pastor was very much, um, I don't know if this is a technical theological term, but a literalist. Mm. Um, so he didn't study the Bible in the culture or the language of that time. He didn't have that kind of education to do hermeneutical exploration of the Bible or anthropological or anything like that. So, um, for instance, if the passage said it's best to poke your own eye out um, to instead of to lust after somebody, he would preach that you needed to literally poke your own eye out. And so it's it's this kind of um, perversion of what the original text was intended for um, that kind of transfers to women around around us in religious communi communities. So um, people claiming to be of God or the voice of God or hearing from God are um, spouting these um, fallacies, um, incorrect interpretations of what the Bible really means or, or um, maybe taking out one text or one passage and, and missing the whole um, theme of the Bible. Mm -hmm. And so um, I grew up watching women very close to me, around me, my family, um, my friends' parents, um, specifically women being abused by these um incorrect beliefs about what God want us, wants us to do as women. Mm. And so there were things spouted from the pulpit like, um, you know, you have to obey and honor your husband. And even if he's doing something incorrect to you, it's not your job to correct him that's God. So you can win him over and essentially change his behavior. Um, eventually, if you endure it long enough or suffer hard enough or keep your mouth shut enough, um, don't speak ill of him, even if it's the truth. So therefore not getting help 
when you're yeah. being harmed. Um, because to do so would be to be out of line with what God has called you to do as a biblical wife. And so um, I would watch these women being told by their husbands, um, God put me as the head of this household, and therefore to you I am God. And so if, you know, God speaks directly to me as the man, so therefore you know, anything I do or say, that's from God because I'm the head of the household. So if you don't like it, you're out of line with God. Wow. And so that was used to really oppress and control women from speaking up if their children were being abused. Um, I, I've heard of horrific stories of the Bible being used to sexually abuse children. Um, children obey your parents, you know, and, and, and the children being coerced and threatened and manipulated with hell because of that, those kind of philosophies. So obviously there's the trickle down from the woman being oppressed and abused, not being able to support um, and protect her children because that would be in opposition to what religious leaders are claiming right. um, is God's will. Yeah. So you kind of grew up in that environment. And yes. Kind of, you know, you talked about how you want to raise your children yes. to view themselves agency and powerful and capable. And so I imagine that was different in some ways for you. You grew up with maybe a different perspective there. Yeah, abs absolutely. Um, I heard things like if, if, children were being, and I'm trying to speak in generalities to protect people's privacies, but if, yeah. if children were being abused and the mom tried to protect them or other siblings tried to protect them, I would hear from the, the male figure, the head of the household, you know, that um, everybody in that household was out of line with God because they were rising up against him as Satan, you know, rises up against God. And so I realized that, you mm -hmm. know, sh sharing this a little bit about my story um, sounds extreme. And it, it might be easy to say, well, yeah, that's a, a small percentage or, um, yeah, that happened to you. And that's unfortunate. But that's not happening in, in the mainstream Christianity in the general uh, Christian world. And I I would agree that what I'm sharing is extreme, but I would also um, put it out there that it is very, very common, even in the mainstream Christian realm, for women to come to me mm -hmm. and, um, and share their stories about how they don't believe, basically, they have rights, worth, value, or power enough to... Um, stand up against something that it is wrong, whether yeah. they're being bullied, whether they're being sexually taken advantage of um, by their spouse or um, sexually disrespected um, in some way or, um, you know, verbally mm -hmm. berated and put down. Um, there is this general belief in, uh, in mainstream Christianity that somehow the theme is 
it's your job to be submissive enough and basically a doormat enough that somehow eventually that will change him. Mm. So fast forward to my first marriage. Um, basically on my honeymoon, I found out that my husband was basically living a double life. Mm. Um, and he was not the person I thought I had married. And it was this just your your heart sinking into your stomach, this sense of dread and, oh, no, what have I done? The minute I married him, the first day of our honeymoon, I knew something was wrong. Wow. And I can remember confronting him at some point along the way and, and saying, what is it exactly that you want from me? Because clearly it's not a wife because he was out there doing his own thing and um, doing everything he could to not be with me, but he had taken vows to me, but, but there was no marriage, you know, Mm -hmm. um, in terms of what a marriage should be. There was no commitment. There was no interest in me as a wife. And, and, and so basically what he conveyed to me was he wanted someone to help hide his secret and be, um, the good Christian wife on Sunday mornings and with friends and family and make him look good. But he really had no interest in a real marriage. Uh, he, he had interests elsewhere. And, um, and I remember feeling completely conflicted because of the way that I was raised. And, you know, I was taught this loyalty, like you don't tell your husband's secrets, even if they're bad, because that's not honoring your husband. And so I was literally physically, not only emotionally dying, but physically dying in that marriage, like wasting away. I couldn't eat. I was so, so depressed and oppressed and I had no one to speak to. I had no support. So all I had in my head were these philosophies and beliefs about what marriage is. And I, I I can remember speeding home all the way five hours home to talk to my parents because he had finally given me permission, permission (laughs) to, to talk to somebody about what was going on in, in my marriage. And, um, and, um, so I sped all the way home, got a speeding ticket five hours to go talk to my parents all the way bracing myself to hear you said for better or worse young lady and this is worse don't come crying to us get your butt back to your husband you took vows before god and it doesn't matter what he's done uh or is doing you made a vow and that's what matters more than your mental and emotional even physical well-being you know I wasn't eating. I wasn't sleeping. I was crying day and night. We were miserable. Um, So that's just one example of the philosophies that are out there. And to exacerbate it further, we had um, signed this contract with a a mainstream, traditional, popular Christian um, church. Um, And... uh, and uh, we had signed this premarital contract um, that I guess was legally binding. That if we 
with the pastor that if we ever got in trouble and were considering a divorce, that we would counsel with him for one to two years. I can't remember if it was one or two years. It's been that long ago. But um, before we could ever legally file for divorce. And if uh, we did, he could legally come after us, I guess, take action against us. And so this is, this is a mainstream, popular, very contemporary, supposedly Christian, uh, church that we are involved in. So we were going to one of our Christian counseling sessions at the beginning. And I can remember having a conversation with my husband on the way there. Um, and he said to me, I I said, what are we going to say when he says we have to keep counseling with him for a year or two. And he said, I'm going to tell you right now, if you want out of the deal, you're going to have to speak up because I will tell him whatever he wants to, to hear because I don't want to look bad and I want his approval. Um, but I can tell you right now I'm done and I'm not going to work on the marriage. I I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Um, I'm not going to change. And so basically it was on me to, um, to speak up and say, I don't want to do the two years of counseling. Now I desperately wanted my marriage to be fixed. I I saw myself growing old with this man. I saw myself watching the grandkids play on the lawn while we sat on the Mm -hmm. porch swing. You know, I had the whole fantasy and, um, I didn't want to give up. You know, I, I wanted to believe that magically, miraculously, somehow my husband would have a change of heart and, and want this marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, but the hell that I was enduring was unbearable and it was killing me. And so I braced myself for what the pastor might say to me, but nothing could have prepared me for what was said to me. And I, this is the point that I want everyone to hear because this is the prevalent philosophy and theology amongst a lot of Christian leaders. Mm. Um, that is the problem. When he asked me, are you committed? Will you do the two years? Um, I said, I was again, trying to tread lightly and protect my husband's privacy and be loyal to him and not out him that he was done. And he was just going to drag me to through one to two years of yes, yes, man, whatever you say and do whatever he wanted privately. Um, So I was trying to still cover for him and protect him, but I very timidly said, well, I just don't think with where he's at that this is going to make a difference and so I was, I was trying to say what, what I was held hostage and not able to say because the hostility would have, from him for telling his secret would have been unbearable. Right. Um, and so when I said those words, just very timidly scratched the surface of the hell that I was living at home, the, the pastor became enraged. And he got red in the face, and I will never forget, he pointed his finger in my face, and he said, 
though that is a lie from the devil. Whoa. He said, if he loses hope that God could change him and he goes home to tonight and commits suicide, his blood will be on your hands. Wow. And so, yeah, that was the kind of support that I had <laughs> <laughs> to see my value and my worth and, yeah. and stand up for for myself for just to live any kind of life that was mentally or emotionally healthy. Well, I'm struck by how you said just scratched the surface. I barely ventured. Yeah, what was happening with me? And it was closed down like, like don't even think about using yeah. your voice. Don't even think yeah. about expressing yourself. And so I think about, you know, taking that to the broader context about how your voice was being silenced and your ability to ask for help and, and mm -hmm. get what you needed mm -hmm. was being silenced for the, with the language of the Bible, using yeah. the Bible to do that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Ugh, and that's where that, you described it as, you know, in, uh, incorrect interpretations and the sort yeah. of mis misuse of Absolutely. some of the scriptures. Misuse of the Bible to oppress and control women, not just women, but that's the topic we're discussing today. I would say significantly women um, from using their voice, having a voice, having personal value, having choices. I mean, I if I'd have stayed in that marriage, I would have been exposed to all kinds of harmful things for me, um, mm -hmm. diseases, um, you know, not just to mention the, the emotional hell. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I was raised that there's only a couple of caveats for divorce. And I know there's that's a popular theology out there today. And the different ones um, have different ideas of what the caveats are. But there's only two or three right. real good reasons to get a divorce. And that's just such dangerous thinking to take the Bible so literally like that, that if it's not specifically spelled out in there, um, that you're stuck, you're trapped. Um, I've heard story after story of, you know, for instance, the man's into bestiality. Yeah. Where is that spelled out as a provision for divorce in the Bible? Um, the man is in into kitty pornography on little girls, but he's never acted on it. So is it truly fidelity? So, you know, you need to get back to your husband because he didn't physically cheat on you. Or, you know, these interpretations of if you're not being physically beat, mm -hmm. you know, never mind that you're being your life is being threatened. You're being right. told if I killed you and buried you in the backyard, nobody would ever find you. Because nobody would ever believe that I would do this. You know, mm -hmm. these are the stories that I've heard of these women living through hell and and, and people close to me. Mm -hmm. um, story after story, I could tell you that would just make your blood curdle, you know. And blow my mind, probably. Like, Absolutely. Really, and, that's happening? <laughs> and the biggest crime is not the abuser, because we can kind of say, well, yeah, he's crazy or he's, he's got, um, a, a mental illness or he's got a personality disorder. He's a narcissist or he's a addict. 
we could at least find a reason to explain. But when people use God and the Bible and love as their caveat to um, coerce and um, manipulate Mm -hmm. these women into staying in abusive, hellacious situations in the name of God, that's the true crime. Yeah, totally, totally distorting the gospel, the good, you know, the good news and using it to uh, oppress someone. I was thinking in the article that you had shared, one of the things that struck out with me was you and he described it as using Christian women's guilt and this idea of that. They probably, you know, they were raised in such a way where to be the good Christian person that Mm. you desire to be, you have to do this and do that and and so the guilt that one may feel, mm-hmm. they, they have a hard time overcoming that is kind of the sense that I got. Is that and correct? It is. And it's not just guilt. Like, think about how certain religions use shunning to control their members. Mm-hmm. Like, if, if you live a certain way, a certain lifestyle, um, then you'll be shunned. I mean, that that way of operating is very much alive and well in Christian circles. We don't call it shunning, but that's what happens. I've lost countless friends and family members because I didn't want to air out my husband's dirty laundry. And so because I wasn't willing to give my reasons or my excuses or my story I lost friends and family because I was getting the big D word and that was against God's will. Mm. I'll never forget one of my best friends. We never spoke again after this day and she had been a best friend all through college. And to this day is still breaks my heart when I think about it. I, I didn't feel at liberty to share with her why I was getting a divorce. And I'll never forget. She, we sat there at her kitchen table and, and she's, stuttered and stammered over her words and she was so uncomfortable and she said but I mean well you can't get a divorce because well that would be bad (laughs) and the absurdity of that comment has Mm. followed me for the last 15 years I mean it just struck such a chord and she never spoke to me again She never reached out to me again and said, are you okay? Are you safe? Um, I know you and I know your level of commitment and loyalty and the kind of person you are, your character. I know that you would never get a divorce unless it was some, something really bad was happening. You know, Mm -hmm. there was no belief in me. It, It was like, it was so overshadowed by this legalistic letter of the law that that's all she could see is that there's a good category and there's a good box and there's a mm. bad box. And yeah. I was checking the bad box and therefore I must be bad and I must be cut off and written off. Yeah. That That's how it felt because there was never a follow-up call. Are you okay? Are you safe? What can I do to help you, support you? There was no concern for my well-being. It was just... Mm. You can't get a divorce because that would be bad. And ultimately, that would mean we can't be friends because there's a a verse in the Bible that you can't sit at the table with sinners. And so if I was getting into a divorce, I'd be a sinner. And so there's this mentality that's even more powerful than my own personal guilt that you are shunned. 
from friends and family. You lose friends, you lose family because mm-hmm. if they don't feel they have a justifiable explanation that they can agree with and they can say, okay, yes, I can put my stamp of approval on. That was a good decision. Right. Then you're out in the cold on your own. And that is a scary place to be, especially if you were raised the way I was um, in church before I was even born, went to Bible college, went to seminary, very, very indoctrinated. Um, very black and white. Like you follow the rules and God will bless you and give you a good life. And if you don't follow the rules and, and things don't go right, then you must be out of God's will and it must be your own fault. And, and that was the philosophy. And so there's also this idea that, and again, I believe personally because of misuse of the Bible, that if you've ever had a divorce, God can't use you anymore. You can't serve in the church in any, like, meaningful capacity. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can be the janitor. Maybe you can volunteer in the nursery if they think you're not too bad of a person for getting a divorce. But, you know, I remember when I got a divorce, I thought my life was over. Like, God was done with me. I couldn't be used anymore. Nobody, um, no good Christian man would want to marry me because I had the big D I would, you know, I, I couldn't serve in the church. My dreams of being a counselor, like who would ever come to me for help or advice? Because I have this big scar, like the scarlet letter, the D the letter D on my forehead, you know, and I literally thought my life was over and it was, it's more than just guilt. It's this, it's the religious and the religious cultural pressure Right. The, your whole community is wrapped up in no community. and your, your friends and everything are wrapped up in that upbringing. And so if you're ostracized by that upbringing, then the risk of losing all of that I'm at is great pressure. It sounds like to not yeah. speak up and to, to remain in that um, experience. I was struck also by the, you know, her comment of uh, that would be bad. It kind of speaks to this idea of shame and you kind of you spoke to it a little bit in regards to uh you know the difference between shame and guilt where shame is this idea of i am bad as opposed to what i did was wrong or incorrect or whatever you know and so almost that idea that the community the community uses this to cause shame or to you know to communicate to you you are bad if you do this as opposed to well, the situation is not great and you're yeah. being treated badly. Right. And and there is much more concern over the legal unification than there is about the yeah. individual's health and well-being. Yeah. And it's not, it, it is the shame. You don't want to be labeled as a bad person, but also it's more than that, Mark. It's, um, I will have no friends. I'll no ha- have no family. Um, I've seen the Bible perverted and used multiple times that if you get a divorce, you can for sure never get married again. Because if you thought you were out of God's will to get a divorce, you'll be living in adultery yeah. if you get married again. And so there's this idea like amongst women like myself 
It's like, I don't, I don't want to live in this hell, but I don't want to live the rest of my life alone either. I want love. I want support. I want a husband. So if I would be out of God's will to get married again, it's, it's a very hopeless double bind, especially mm. if you have children and you want to be um, an active, involved mother that doesn't have to work 40 plus hours a week to support your children as a, as a single mom. Um, you know, there's, there's that. If you're not allowed in the Christian community to ever get married again, you know, I had grandparents that were convinced that because my grandpa was married when he was basically a teenager in the military and got married like, or got divorced like five minutes later, um, that his marriage to my grandmother, uh, when they had three grown children together and grandkids, somehow got convinced by the church that they were living in adultery and convinced to live in separate bedrooms as brother and sister because the religious church that we were raised in told them that they were living in sin and in adultery. And it goes back to that literal, that as you were describing, the really literal yeah. interpretation again. I was and another, viewing the Bible as as completely exclusive, like if it's not listed in the Bible, mm. you know, then you can't believe. If emotional abuse isn't spelled out in the Bible, if uh, pedophilia isn't spelled out, if pornography isn't spelled out, if homosexuality isn't spelled out if you know on and on bestiality you know on yeah. and on and on down the list of threatening and intimidation right one of the one of the another thing that i think we're continuing to talk about that really struck me from that article is he said this jesus said what he said about divorce to protect women not to imprison them and yeah. I honestly, that phrase, because, you know, on, you know, I, I've grown up in a Christian context. I grew up in a Christian home. It, it wasn't, um, I don't, it wasn't as, a, I don't know what the language, it wasn't quite as extreme, I don't think, in the way it treated women um, as what you're describing. But, you know, I've, the whole divorce thing, you know, I grew up in a world where divorce is not good and, you know, Christians don't get divorced. And so I, I think I have a piece of that in me, if I admit that I have a piece of that misinterpretation mm-hmm. in me. And so this idea of, yes, it was to protect women. That's huge. That was like, oh my goodness, that really opened me up a little bit. Yeah. I don't know what thoughts you have about that. Yes, I thought that was so powerful. And what a great reminder that you have to really look at, you know, what was intended by the original writers and what was the culture and the context of that day. And what a great reminder that, you know, women didn't have the resources we do today. You couldn't just go out and get a job or um, maybe get remarried Mm -hmm. or that kind of thing. Um, And so if your husband divorced you, you were basically destitute, Mm -hmm. you know, and so that that's a great reminder that the culture and the context yeah. Um, of what the Bible is really trying to say matters. And not just the literal text, but um, 
when, one of the things that I heard from the pulpit one time that I thought was so profound is um, when there's the law of the Bible and then there's love. And when the law and the love collide, love wins every time. Hmm. So the law said, don't work on the Sabbath. Love said, when somebody, you know, the good Samaritan was wounded and stranded by the road, the law, the love trumped the law and the love wins every time. And um, even Jesus broke the law Mm -hmm. to keep the Sabbath to, to, um, you know, to love on that injured individual. Mm -hmm. And one of the most powerful things that I would say saved me um, when I was trying to make the decision about whether to stay or leave my marriage, because my husband would have let me stay as long as I'd um, lived the way he wanted me to and provided the perfect front for him to do what he wanted to do. Um, uh, But one of the best things that was said to me, and it was liberating and it was freeing, um, was from a counselor that I was speaking with. And she said, does God hate divorce? Yes, of course he did. Did he design the institution of marriage? Yes, he did. But did he die for the institution of marriage? Mm. Who did Jesus die for? Mm. Jesus died for the individuals in the marriage. Mm. God loves the people in the marriage more than the institution itself. And when the people in the marriage, the individuals in the marriage are, are killing each other, Literally, physically, mentally, emotionally, God cares more about that than He does His institution. Yeah, wow. And that probably right there saved me and set me on the path um, and mission to help other women like myself. That gave you the voice that you needed. Yeah, absolutely. It's like Jesus loves me enough to let me out of the letter of the law and says, you know what, you're more important than this legal document. Yeah. It wasn't that even the- a marriage. It wasn't even what God designed marriage to be, which is um, to be his reflection of love to each yeah. other. It, it was a complete perversion of marriage. We are, we're calling, we as a society are calling marriage the formalized legal documents. Mm. We got to remember what Jesus intended the marriage to be. Yeah, that picture of him and his bride, the church, and and how he loves us. Mm-hmm. I just love, you know, that what that counselor said to you is an exact picture of the gospel. And these distorted marriages are the exact opposite picture of yeah. the gospel, where it's it's all about the law and following the rules and living the right way in order, you know, for whatever. To follow the rules, as opposed to, as you said, when love wins in those situations, it's Mm -hmm. just like how love won and rescued us from our sin Mm -hmm. in the gospel, you know? Mm -hmm. Wow. That's (laughs) I didn't expect to get to that place, but that's that's awesome. Just the picture of the gospel that you just gave right there. Thank you for that. Yeah. Hmm. So you... You know, that gave you your voice and you kind of moved on from that. Mm -hmm. Um, 
it was a lonely road. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think I said this in my Facebook post that you commented on. I'm one voice in a sea of um, inaccurate beliefs about what the gospel really meant about marriage mm-hmm. and um, divorce. And unfortunately, my voice gets drowned out. You know, these women don't have the support systems. They don't have um, the resources. They don't have the counselors telling them this. I've had women come to me who've seen other counselors and unfortunately often male counselors (laughs) who are using the Bible to keep them oppressed and saying, well, you don't have biblical grounds for divorce. And basically... That's all they care about, not the woman's well-being or safety. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's not bad enough yet, you know. Um, if you come to me with broken bones or whatever, maybe we'll help you find a safe place until your husband can get rehabilitated or mm-hmm. maybe then some liberal counselor, you know. <laughs> it, it depends on who you're talking to. Say, okay, now you can get a divorce. But ultimately, they're they're not hearing, they're not seeing these women. They're not seeing the humanity. They're seeing the law. Yeah. They're seeing, don't work on the Sabbath. I don't care if you're cut and bleeding in the ditch. Right. Where I'm not supposed to work on the Sabbath. So, you know, talk to me on Tuesday. If you're still there on Tuesday, maybe I'll help you. You know, that's, that's kind of the prevalent Mm. theology. Now, you know, Obviously, not everybody. These are broad generalizations, but enough that I, I've worked with this population for years and years, and it, it's prevalent in our mainstream, less um, extreme religions than what mm-hmm. I was raised in, and it's yeah. still out there. These women are still coming to me saying, "But I'm I'm not going to be right with God if I leave, right?" Right. You know, well, and you they know, don't I- have that support. To leave, so they they leave me, and I, I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to impart this empowering truth that Jesus loves you. Mm. The, the institution is is the ideal, but when the institution is failing and the individuals are dying, Jesus loves you, and I'm one voice, and they go home, but my mom and dad don't support me. My Siblings are mad at me. You know, I I had one person close to me whose husband was um, cold and rejecting and not really interested in her as a wife, but he was interested in um, little girls. And he was viewing that. And the family surrounding her basically said, because this man had claimed to have gotten right with God and gotten, quote unquote, saved, after she left him, Mm. said, well, he's saved now. So whatever he did is under the blood, and you're in the wrong. So he got to say the prayer and say the words and get out of jail free, and she was in the wrong. And she was completely abandoned and unsupported. And he was invited to family dinners, and he was the one that everyone felt sorry for. And she was completely left in the cold. And then vulnerable and exposed to 
other influences and people in her life yeah. because there was such little support. And I, I see this time and time again, mm. one example of many. And so many women just end up surrendering and mm. rolling over and staying because it's easier than going against friends and family and churches and, and pastors yeah. and people calling themselves Christian counselors in places of authority showing them a, a book, chapter, and verse, and say, yeah, 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 I understand you're miserable and abused and your life is a living hell, but this verse right here says no. So sorry, figure out a way to live live with it. And that's what I was struck by. You talked about authority. And as you told your story and talked about what the the pastor who you were counseling with, and he pointed his finger at you and became He was so angry. And that is like the, you know, you said the worst part is— I, one of the worst things that struck me was that this is the pastor who you're going to and hoping, hoping at least in some ways could help you and transform this for you, but he's only perpetuating the Mm -hmm. problem and enabling it to Mm -hmm. make it worse in that authority position. Mm. Um, you were going to say something, go ahead. I don't. Okay. I don't think Uh, so. Okay, sorry. Um, so, you know, what are some of the things do you think that, I don't know, Christian counselors like me, uh, members of churches like me, um, what can we do uh, to help, if anything, in this situation, in these when we see these things arrive? You know, I think one of the biggest things is just remembering... First and foremost, you know, Jesus' example, um, the Bible says, if, you, if you've if seen me, you've seen the Father, and I'm the fulfillment of the law. And so when in doubt, I, it sounds very 1990s and cliched to say, but what would Jesus do? Like, when did you see Jesus turn away a prostitute or a sinner, you know, a tax collector, not sit at parties with sinners and, you know, partake mm-hmm. in their meals. And yet we're purporting these Old Testament laws where you don't sit down with the ungodly and you don't, you don't quote unquote support by fellowshipping with people you disagree with. And, but if you, you know, when in doubt, like if you can just set aside the law and think back to Jesus's example, how did he live his life? Thank you for listening to the Connected Family Podcast. We're dedicated to helping you build resilient kids, strong marriages, and connected families. If you'd like to continue the conversation about domestic spiritual abuse, please join our Facebook group at facebook.com backslash groups backslash the Connected Family Podcast. This group consists of additional resources, discussion regarding episode topics, and support for building a connected family. You can also follow us on Instagram at Connections Family Counseling or our website at ConnectionsQuincy.com.